always wonderful to be together. It's good to see everybody. I was told that some of you spent last night sleeping on the ground, and that if I am not especially engaging and exciting and entertaining this morning, that, uh, well, we, we may lose some of you. So I'm going to do my best. I, I'm, I'm working with what I've got, okay? Um, this, is, this is treasures in jars of clay, okay? So bear with me. But we are beginning a new series this morning. Uh, we are going to be, for the rest of this calendar year, looking at Jesus stories. And I want to define what that means, because sometimes we say Jesus stories. That sounds like a very simple kind of almost flippant thing. It's not at all. When we, when we look at the Great Commission, look at the verse that Travis just read, we see that Jesus, in his final words, as he prepares to ascend, was, go tell the story about what you've seen. The previous verse, verse 18, begins with, all authority has been given to me. That's what he says. He doesn't say all authority has been given to some letters that are going to be written in about 30 years, or all authority has been given to certain churches or certain people in those churches. He says, all authority is mine. I'm in charge. And what I want you to do when I leave is to go tell people this story. Our primary function as Christians is to share the gospel, and that means to tell the story of Jesus, tell the Jesus story. Now, there's a little bit of a challenge with that sometimes. We're not often very good at reading Jesus stories. We struggle with it. You may not think that, but watch what you do when you read a Jesus story. This morning, we're going to talk about how to read a story of Jesus in Scripture, how we want to approach those and what we want to look for. The temptation is, and this may be the product of growing up in church or hearing these stories or them being familiar, but if that's the case, the temptation is to run very quickly to the end of the story to kind of the moral of the story. Or if it's a miracle, we want to run really quickly for the payoff, for the final thing. And we're going to look at a story this morning to kind of practice this in John chapter 11, dealing with the death of Lazarus. And we know that story, the death of Lazarus. Okay, Jesus raised him from the dead. Boom, there you go. That's the end, right? That's the story. And we go so quickly to get to the payoff, to the end of the story, that we miss all these wonderful things that happen. We miss all these interactions. When we read Jesus' stories, we need to keep ourselves in the moment of the story happening and try to forget what we already know is coming. And that's hard to do. In order to read a Jesus story and to get the fullness of the experience that is happening in that story, we've got to try to think, what would it have been like to hear that in person for the first time? Where would I have been standing? Were we by the water? What did all those people smell like? What were these words, if I was hearing them for the first time, how would they touch my heart? And what would this scene look like? We have to try and forget what we know is the end of the story, in order to experience the story as it happens and to find the beautiful moments of interaction between Jesus and those around him and to find the deeper lessons that are being taught in these stories. So let's dig into John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, brother Lazarus was sick. 
So we've set the stage. We've set the relationship. We've established who these people are. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. All right. So we have identified this is someone Jesus loves. This is someone who matters to him. The one you love is sick. Now, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man, excuse me, Son of God may be glorified by it. All right, now, we read those words and we say, oh yeah, it won't end in death because he's going to heal it. Don't do that. Don't run, run ahead to the end of the story. Listen to what he's saying. Because there are sometimes more than one story happening in the things Jesus is saying. And remember, you're hearing this for the first time as one of those disciples, this sickness will not end in death. What does that make you think? And what are you expecting? Now, it is true, Jesus did love this family. He loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. It says so in verse 5. Let's look at how much he loved them. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, he loved them so much that when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that seem a little odd? I don't know about you, but I'm kind of an instant gratification person, particularly when I don't feel well. Uh, I want to feel better right away. And it can be frustrating. Um, I like to be at my fullest, and when I'm not, I want to know what do I need to take, how much do I need to take, how quickly can it make me better. I, I get headaches a lot. That's kind of my kryptonite. I get headaches a lot, and I am, I'm an ibuprofen guy, and I take too much ibuprofen. I'm not going to say anything out loud because there is a doctor in the room, and I don't want to get scolded because I've been scolded before for the dosage of ibuprofen that I take, but I can tell you it's enough that I don't have a headache when, once I take it. I want to get better right now. I don't like waiting. But Jesus waited. Jesus waited. He loved these people so much that he's going to wait. He's going to stay where he is. He's going to not move. Does Jesus disappoint us when he doesn't move? Have you ever been disappointed with Jesus? by him not moving, or by God? I think we probably have been a little disappointed sometimes by Jesus. That's okay, by the way. You can wrestle with God. He likes it. You can do that. You're allowed to. Um, if you want to know if Jesus frustrates you or disappoints you, read through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and try to pay attention to when you stop nodding along, because you will. And if you don't, you should read it again. Because you can get through the Beatitudes and you can get through, you know, uh, loving God and taking care of people who are in need. When you get to that love your enemies stuff, ooh, that one might stop you. Pay attention to the times when Jesus asks something of us that is difficult or when he doesn't move when we want him to. So his love for Lazarus, Martha, and Mary is such that he stays for two more days where he's at. Then he says to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. All right. 
they're afraid. This is in a time where there's some pressure coming upon Jesus to possibly take his life. They've had to flee. The reason they are where they are is because they were trying to get away from that. And now Jesus says, we need to go back there. And the disciples say, if you go back there, they will kill you. This will not end in death. Let us go to Judea. Do you see how there are sometimes parallel stories going on? There are sometimes parallel things. And Jesus responds to them, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Any of you, and I mean be honest, if you had been there and you had said to Jesus, we can't go back there, they'll kill us, and he said that, how many of you would have honestly thought that was a satisfactory response? You, you listen to that and you go, oh, okay, that clears it up, I suppose. Sometimes Jesus says things that seem obtuse or unrelated. And it's okay when we read that to stop for a minute and to back up because we don't understand it. When he says something I don't understand, that's when I want to slow down. That's when I want to take a minute here because this, this one is hard to understand. There's 12 hours in the day. Walk in the light and you won't stumble. When I was younger growing up, we had severe weather in where I grew up uh, in, in the Mid-South. Tornadoes pretty common, especially in the spring and summer. And whenever we'd have one of those nights where there was a big line of storms coming through and we pretty well knew we were going to have some, some severe weather, we'd stay up with the TV on, we'd watch the weather reports as they watch, track these storms. And then I, my dad would always be standing on the front porch watching the storm. Just made me nervous. I hated it. Because uh, I was scared of storms when I was really young. Uh, really had a terrible fear of them. And to see my dad out there scared me and made me kind of nervous that he was standing there. But there was always a level of comfort that as long as he doesn't look scared, I don't have to be scared, right? Kind of like on an airplane when you have turbulence, you watch the, the flight attendant, and if they seem fine, then you know you're probably okay, all right? They stay calm, then you can be calm. I asked my dad when I was younger, Dad, why are, how are you not scared of anything? How are you not scared? And he said something to the effect of, well, you know, sometimes I am scared, but I'm, I have to not let you know I'm scared so that you won't be scared. Because being scared of things doesn't fix anything. It doesn't help. I've been afraid of things, and it didn't help. So we learn over time that fear robs us of life. That's why your parents and grandparents are insane. That's why you see people bungee jumping at age 70 and going parasailing on the ocean in their 60s and 70s. Remember uh, George H.W. Bush used to go skydiving on his birthday like every 10 years, 70, 80, 90. He would go jump out of a perfectly good airplane. When you get to a certain age, some fears go away. We talk about people when they get older, they lose their filter. They just say whatever's on their mind. No, because they're not afraid anymore. They're not afraid. They've been afraid, and they saw that there was no use for it. The fear robs us of our life. Um, and Jesus is saying there's 12 hours in the day. 
Walk in the light. Don't walk in the darkness. So this he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, they are struggling to grasp the message Jesus is sending. And you have to imagine Jesus at this point is going, Okay, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to try this again. He says, um, they said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Verse 13, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm going, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I'm glad that I wasn't there for your sake. Sometimes someone has to suffer in order for other people to grow in their faith. Sometimes someone has to die in order for people's faith to be strengthened. Are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to be the one who dies so others can have faith? Are you willing to be the one who suffers so that others can learn and see Jesus? I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there so that you may believe. So that you may believe. Uh, when people, we lose people. And by the way, the, 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 Jesus is speaking in a little bit of a riddle, a little bit of code to them. And, and they're not understanding it. We kind of do that too. Um, when we talk about people dying, we say, well, they passed on or they went to a better place. Or um, If you didn't know what those sayings meant and someone said, well, how's your mom doing? And you said, oh, she went on to a better place. You'd... Madison? What, 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 what does that mean? You know, we understand what those sayings are. But if you didn't, you'd be lost. They were a little bit lost as to what Jesus is talking about, about Lazarus being asleep and Lazarus dying and not going to him. And they're trying to wrap their brains around this. And then Thomas, in verse 16, who is called Didymus, says to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Quick side note about Thomas. This is a pet peeve of mine, okay? Because I have a son named Thomas. And I remember when we chose that name, I was preaching in a church in northeast Arkansas. There was an older lady there, sweet lady. We told her what the name was going to be. She goes, oh, I don't like that name. It just makes me think of Doubting Thomas. Um, we call him Doubting Thomas. That is a horribly unfair characterization. First of all, um, we get that name because of the scene when they're in the locked room and Jesus appears, and Thomas comes back, and, they, and, and he, he says, I won't believe it until I see it, until I touch the hands, and, and so on and so forth. A couple things about Thomas. Um, first of all, the reason he wasn't in that room, read that story. The reason he's not in the room is because he was the only one brave enough to leave the locked room to go get them food. He went into town to get food for everybody else, and they stayed in the locked room. Jesus said, I will meet you in Galilee. Did they go to Galilee? No, they stayed in a locked room. Thomas went. Thomas left. Now, when he gets back into the room, they say, oh, my goodness, you just missed Jesus. 
And he says, uh, well, until I see him, until I receive the same evidence that you did, I'm not going to believe that. He didn't ask for anything more than what his fellow disciples received from being in the room. But he was brave enough to leave to go get them food. And when Jesus does appear again, he is the first of the disciples to refer to him as my Lord and my God. And here he is saying, wherever you go, Jesus, I'll go with you even if I die. So maybe back off of Thomas a little bit. And if, if you don't, and if I die first, I'm going to tell him what you said about him, and we'll be waiting for you. Thomas is an important guy and a good one. Anyway. So Thomas says, let us go also, let us also go so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So Jesus gets there and finds out that he'd been in the tomb for four days. There are some questions sometimes in scriptures about what does Jesus know and when does he know it? How much does he know? We see a progression in the Jesus stories of Jesus finding things out. And we kind of have to struggle with how much God is in Jesus and how much man is in Jesus sometimes. How, what is that balance? When did he know he was God? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever asked yourself, when did Jesus realize that he was God? I have to imagine it was a little bit later. Um, I don't think there's any way Jesus knew he was God when he was four years old. I have a four-year-old. Nobody wants a four-year-old that knows he's God. Okay, you imagine that? Trying to give him a bath, he keeps popping up on the water. I mean, it would be terrible. There's just no way. He, had, he found things out along the way. We see Jesus learning things, being made aware of things, growing with information. So he arrives and he finds he's already been in the tomb four days. Now, verse 18, this is important. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Two miles. He waited. Could have walked it in half an hour. He waited two days. And when he went, he didn't even go all the way. He waits outside. He doesn't even go all the way to them. Why? Why do you stop? You could have been there. That's exactly what the family of Lazarus thinks, and they're going to express that to him. Martha, therefore, in verse 20, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Did you ever notice that? She stayed behind. You think maybe somebody was hurt? You think somebody was upset? You think somebody was angry? Let's see what they have to say. So Mary stayed at the house, verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. All right, let's stop there for a minute. If you had just been here, my brother would still be alive. How many times do you think these people saw or heard of Jesus healing? Healing perfect strangers. But the one that he loved died. You were, you were two miles away. You found out two days ago. You could have been here. You've healed perfect strangers on the street. 
but you can't make time to come and heal the person that you care about, that I love, that you love. He's gone, and if you had been here, that wouldn't have happened. And she says, but I know that even whatever you ask right now, God's going to give it to you. She is not asking him to raise Lazarus from the dead. Don't run there. You read that and you go, oh, well, we know how it ends. That's, she must be saying, if you, if you just ask God, that wasn't even on the menu. They never seen that happen. They didn't know that could happen. She's not asking Jesus to raise Lazarus. And we see that in the words that they say later in the context. That's not what she's asking for. She's saying, I know you can do it. I know you could have healed him. I know you can do great things. I know that God will give you what you ask for. But why weren't you here? You, ha you, you could have done it, and you didn't. You chose not to. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now listen to her response. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's not thinking about resurrection right now. She's not thinking Jesus is going to raise Lazarus, nor is she asking for it. She says, I know he'll rise again on the last day. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus said to her, listen, listen to these words and think about what this means and how awkward this would have been, the position it puts Martha in. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This would have been a very awkward conversation because her brother has just died. And he says, Jesus does, if you believe in me, you'll never die. If you were Martha, would you feel like, are you saying Lazarus didn't believe? Are you saying Lazarus didn't have faith since he lost his life? Her response Verse 27, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Some of your translations may say is to come. There's a future tense. You ever notice that? If I were saying it, I would say has come. Who comes, who is to come. That's the way it's worded. It's almost as if she's saying, I believe who you are, and I believe you will be one day what you say you are, but you haven't given us your best yet. There's a lot of tension here. There's a lot of tension between this family and Jesus. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. There is no evidence in the story that, that, that he asked to see her, but you almost get the sense that it's like, listen, if I'm going to have to face this, you're going to have to face it. So we're going to go talk to him together. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Again, Jesus still has not, he has still not gone to them. He stopped. He hasn't moved. He's staying where he is. There are times, now, there's no way to know. We can't be in Jesus' head here, okay? I don't know why he stopped. I don't know why he doesn't go all the way. I have a theory. I have a theory, if you'll allow me to speculate. I think it's possible that Jesus is hurting too. 
I remember when I was young, I was about 10 years old, suddenly and tragically, my uncle, my dad's brother, passed away. He was 38 years old. Um, and then he was gone. He was gone. It was a horrible time for our family. Just a sudden and tragic loss. And I, I, I had loved ones die, great-grandparents, things like that. Nothing this way. Nothing this big. Nothing this painful. And I remember when going to the funeral home for the visitation, knowing I'm going to have to see the body of a deceased relative who I cared deeply for and had a very good relationship with. And I was scared. I didn't want to go in. I couldn't move. I was stopped at the door. My aunt eventually came and told me, you know, encouraged me and comforted me, and, and I was able to go and do that. But there is something sometimes that is so painful it stops us because we don't know how to handle it. We're not prepared for it, and we don't understand it. I think it's possible. Jesus stopped where he was because he was dealing with the pain of loss as well. Again, we have to ask the question, how much of this is God working and how much is, is the humanity of Jesus working and what's the combination there? But we have to read carefully and not rush to the end. He stopped where he is. So Mary comes to him. It says there in verse 30 what we've just said. He has not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Wonderful, beautiful, comforters, community. It's what we are. We comfort one another and we care for one another. She's not going alone. I think that's, as a side note, those are wonderful people. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. This is a beautiful picture. The shortest verse in all of Scripture, but so significant, so important in understanding who Jesus was. One who had empathy one who had emotion. I, I accept and understand the divinity of Christ, but we cannot understand and accept the divinity of Christ and ignore the humanity, because if not for the humanity, he could not have done what he did on the cross. This verse right here, Jesus wept, these two words, these two words tell us so much about our Savior. You read through Hebrews and you look at the, the issues and the shortcomings of the earthly high priest and you look at the benefits of our high priest, Jesus, and you see that this mix of humanity which understands us and divinity which saves us are crucial. They are essential. They are required. This one verse might be one of the major keys to how Jesus is able to do what he does in our life and for our soul. Verse 36 of so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? Their life is wrecked. 
their life is a train wreck of loss and grief. Sometimes there are train wrecks and we learn from them and our faith grows because of them. We just don't know when we're going to be the ones who have to wreck in order for God to be seen, in order for Jesus to do something amazing. I think we all wrestle with grief. When I I spoke at the preacher's retreat last month of a camp and talked about prayer, the power of prayer, and examples of healing when we're told that prayer can heal someone. And we talked about that. We pray for people, and they sometimes don't get better. They get worse, and then they die. And there was someone there who had lost a loved one in, in recent years and was struggling with that very question and asked me that question. So this says that if you pray for them, they'll be healed, but, but my loved one wasn't healed. They died, and I still haven't been able to get over that. I don't understand why did they die. Now, I am not a smart person. Uh, I am not a particularly gifted and intelligent person, but I have uh, made this mistake enough that I've learned from it, and I've dealt with enough grieving families. One of the things about preaching in small and sometimes older churches is you do a lot of funerals. And so I've been with grieving families. I have quit saying, when people say, why did this happen? I have quit saying things like, um, God did answer your prayer. His answer was just no. Or uh, they're in a better place. Or uh, this was just God's will. I s- Stop. You're what Job calls a miserable comforter when you do that. It's okay to say, and this was my response that night at the retreat, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why God moves when he does. I don't know why he he chooses not to when he chooses not to. I don't have an answer for you. All I know is that God has a will. He has a plan. And our job is not always to understand it. It is to grow from it and learn from it. And faith can be found in accepting God's lack of movement rather than just in believing that he can move. I don't know why the people we love leave us. But I know that it's okay to ask God why. It's okay to wrestle with him. It's okay to be upset and be frustrated. He welcomes it. When you wrestle with God, you're still in contact with him. It's when you walk away that there's a problem. So, he says, where have you laid him? They said, come and see, Jesus wept. So, the Jews are saying this. Now, Jesus, again, being deeply moved, verse 38, within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, now, by the way, There's a reason she's saying this. There were rules. It wasn't just about opening a tomb, okay? That's a pretty big deal. But there were some rules about cleanliness. If there was that kind of stench from decomposing flesh, and it was opened and it was exposed by their law, the rabbis, the teachers, those people who would have been exposed to that are ceremonially unclean. They are unfit for their service until they go through a ceremonial washing. She's trying to protect him. 
She's saying, oh, we, we can't do that. That's against the rules. That's against the law. And Jesus says, did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Once again, Jesus shows us the fact of the entire gospel. At every time it's challenged, love trumps law. You're not allowed to move that stone. Jesus says, no, we're going to move it. Because I have something to show you. So they moved the stone, verse, 30, verse 41. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Now he's speaking to God, but he's speaking to everyone who is around so that they see, so that they understand. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. This story that deals so much with death and resurrection has a lot to do also with our own death and resurrection. Um, we... When we're buried in baptism, when we are baptized, we, we, we die, we're buried. That's the, that's the terminology that's, that's used. That's the description that's used. And then we're raised. Death is both a very important literal thing in our life and it is a very important spiritual thing in our life. And understanding God and Jesus and the relationship with death is also very important. And this story speaks a lot to that. Because we're going to come out of the tomb. The stone is rolled away for us as well to be resurrected, to be brought back to life. That's what the saving power of Jesus does. Interesting point here, side note that I'll leave you with. Lazarus is restored. Lazarus is alive again. Lazarus comes out of the tomb, but he's still bound by his grave clothes. He has to be unwrapped. He has to be untied. We've all been resurrected spiritually, by the blood of Christ. How many of you are still wearing your grave clothes? The things that tangle us up, the sin, the temptation, even the guilt, the guilt of our death. The, he, he, he's, he looks like someone who's dead because he's covered in these grave clothes. He is still wearing the clothing of a dead man, but he's not dead. And Jesus says, get those clothes off of him. He says the same thing to us. When we're raised to walk in newness of life, you've got to get rid of the things that make you look dead. You've got to start living like you're alive. There is so much here in the Jesus stories. And I hope that this morning we've maybe gotten ourselves a little bit oriented for how we're going to read these. And from now through the end of 2021, we're going to look at different stories, miracles, parables, interactions that Jesus has, and we're going to read them with an eye for putting ourselves in the story, putting ourselves in that time and in that place, and hearing it as we would have heard it then, without the end, without the payoff in mind. Lazarus was indeed raised, and some of what Jesus says prior to that begins to make sense but we want to read that with an ear and an eye for those who experienced it 
to, to get the fullness of the blessing of these stories, to understand the reality of Jesus, that he was someone who really walked to this earth and really said and did these things, and they were amazing. And we can learn from that and fulfill the call of Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world and to tell these stories, to share the life-giving message of Jesus Christ to people around us. If you are in need of prayer or encouragement in any way this morning, if you would like to um, make that known and to request that help, then we're here for you as always. Uh, uh, Marv is going to come and lead us in a song, and if we can do anything for you, let us know.